1: into your mind and your mind fathoms everything that went on and then you read Ephesians 1 through 3 you find out all the other things that have happened if that doesn't make you humble nothing will nothing will you cannot make yourself humble that's false humility that's false humility you can't make yourself humble But when you come face to face with Jesus I can guarantee you'll be humble or humble
0: as Pastor Dave continues his teaching series through the Gospel of John, he'll be challenging you to humble yourself. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. Pride was one of the first sins ever committed, and it was committed by the devil who thought he could overthrow God. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 1 as he continues his message, Baptize with Water.
1: You are sure. When you dye something, you basically change the identity of that which you dye. If you have something white and you dye it red, it becomes red instead of white. You've changed the identity of what it is. How many of you ever (laughs) tie-dye? You change the identity. So we can basically say that baptism is a means of identification. Baptism is a means of identification. It changes not only our identity, but baptism changes who we identify with. It changes our identity, and it changes who we identify with. Once, we identified with the world. We once identified with the world. And now that we have accepted Christ into our life, and when we become baptized, publicly we are saying, I identify with Jesus. Baptism is no more than a public statement of what has happened in your heart. Baptism does not save you. It's an outward cry of what the Lord has done in your heart. You're saying, I now identify with Christ. And according to Romans 6 verses 3 and 4, not only are you identifying with Christ's life, you're also identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection. But you're doing it publicly. You're doing it outwardly. It becomes a a profession a profession of faith see baptism is nothing new the Jews used to do it all the time when you as a Gentile wanted to become Jewish and convert you were a proselyte and they would take you and they would baptize you and that signified a change in identity you were no longer a Gentile dog unclean but now you're a Jew. there's see, the, the change of identity that's what they did by accepting the Jewish faith. And according to the Old Testament scriptures, baptism would be used in the days of the Messiah. All three, Christ, Elijah, and the prophet, would use baptism to purify the polluted world in which they live. So it was natural for them to ask the question, then where do you get off baptizing? So when they asked that question, what do you baptized for? Once again, John is quite clear and he's very, very concise. Look at verse 26a. John answered them and says, I baptize with water. Nothing more, nothing less. I am nothing more and nothing less. But John doesn't stop here. He then directs our attention to another. And this is what I love about John the Baptist. John the Baptist always pointed to Jesus Christ. Always pointed to to Christ in every situation and every circumstances first of all he denied that he wasn't the Christ but he always pointed to Jesus Christ look at 26 B I baptized with water but there stands one among you whom you do not know there's one greater standing among you and you don't know him back in verse 10 of Gospel of John he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Imagine, imagine. To me, when I read this and I was studying, I was taken directly to Isaiah 53 verse 2 when he said he had no form or comeliness, meaning he wasn't a great-looking guy means he wasn't attracting people to himself by his good looks. He was an every average Joe. Actually, he was an every average Jesus. But he was an every average guy. All right? There was nothing that made him stand out. He didn't have a remarkable beauty. He wasn't Jeffrey Hunter with the gorgeous blue eyes. Did I just date myself on that one? I don't know. King of Kings, by the way, is the name of the movie. Jeffrey Hunter is Jesus. Jeffrey Hunter is Jesus. It doesn't mean he was ugly, folks. But it does mean that he did not have the advantage of good looks. This means that when we try to attract people to Jesus through form or comeliness or beauty, we're using methods that run counter to Jesus Christ. Listen to Alan Redpath. I love Alan Redpath. He says, quote, These days, it appears that we must dress up the gospel to make it attractive. We we have to use the methods of technique, which must be smart, well-presented, and streamlined. There must be something about the presentation of the gospel that will appeal to people to what is called modern mind. I wonder if we stop to think that in our our efforts to make the gospel message attractive, we are drawing a curtain across the face of Jesus in his humiliation. The only one who can make him attractive is the Holy Spirit. I like that, unquote. Can you imagine standing in a crowd? Can you imagine standing in a crowd? You're standing behind this guy and you're going, hey, buddy, can you move aside? I can't see. And it's Jesus. Hey, when you get out of the way, I can't see over you. Come on, you're blocking my view. Can you imagine that? Not recognize him? We well, you know, I thought about this too. Why don't people recognize Jesus in us? Why don't people recognize Jesus in us? Because I think we hide him. I think we hide him. We know he's in us. We know through the Holy Spirit that he's there. But I think we hide him. We don't allow him to come out. We don't allow him to shine. We hide him. We keep him from people. You know, we got stuck in our mind, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the the Most High. Well, let's not let it be secret anymore. Let it come out. Christ wants to come out and touch the heart of the people you're next to. Why do we hide them? We're always hiding them. John says, no, I'm not the Christ. But there's one among you. There's one among you. When will we learn that it's not about me? Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Think about that. Always point to the Lord. Always point to the Lord. He says something interesting in verse 27. It is he, talking about Jesus now, who is coming after me, is preferred before me. Now we talked about that, how he knew that Jesus was preferred before him because of Jesus' stature. He knew who Jesus was, was, even though John was six months older than Jesus. But he says this, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. It's an interesting statement here. And here he's making a reference to house slaves. John is making a reference to house slaves. Now, in a house when you had slaves, now I have to remember, slavery back then was huge. Huge. And when you had various slaves, the lowest of low, the worst slave in the entire place was the one who answered the door. When he answered the door, he was the one that had to take the sandals off the people's feet, put them in water, and wash them before they could come into the house. Now, they didn't have socks, all right? They didn't have shoes. They had sandals, or maybe they wore wore barefoot. Let's figure that out. I don't know what's happening to my words today. Anyhow, Anyhow, this low slave would have to come up and do that. John said, I'm not even worthy of that job. I'm not even worthy of the lowest of low. That's a great opinion of himself, isn't it? That's a great opinion of himself. I can imagine me having that job. What? We have to have this jolly, sweet smell and his big voice. What is? John says, "You know what? I can't even do that job. I'm not even worthy." to be the lowest of the low slaves. I can't even unstrap my Savior's boot. Interesting. Interesting statement. This is true humility. This is not trumped up humility to make yourself look good or feel better. This is true humility. This is a humble heart that draws people to Christ. When you absolutely bring that into your mind, and your mind fathoms everything that went on. And then you read Ephesians 1 3, and you find out all the other things that have happened. If that doesn't make you humble, nothing will. Nothing will. You cannot make yourself humble. That's false humility. That's false humility. You can't make yourself humble. When When you come face to face with Jesus, I can guarantee you'll be humble. Or humbled. John says, I can't do that. I can't untie his shoes. I can't undo it. Now, knowing what I just told you, go fast forward three and a half years to the upper room during Passover feast. Fast forward three and a half years to the upper room of the Passover feast in John 13. When they finish eating the meal, Jesus jumps up and girds himself, gets a bucket of water, and starts around the table washing their feet. Now, you might understand why Peter stood up and said, Whoa, wait a minute. No way. You're not washing my feet. Put that up here. Savior of the world washing their feet. See, that's true humility. True humility. In verse 28, it says, These things were done in Bethelbarba, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. It's interesting now. It's interesting, this place there he's baptizing. And we see this place where it's all happened. And I don't think there's anything in the Bible that doesn't have meaning. I think everything is written there for a particular reason. And many scholars believe that this place out in the wilderness, at the Jordan River, was the place where Joshua led them across. Many people believe that this was the place where Joshua led the Israelites across into the Promised Land. Back in the day when Joshua was doing that, and even, even in Matthew and a couple other of the, that's just a hint. Now I can't prove any of this. It seems like it's conjecture because it really doesn't say it in Scripture. But many people believe it's in the same. It's in a desert place. But there's a there's a scripture in here. I have to find it. I didn't tag it. I apologize. In Matthew's gospel, when he's at the same. place, Verses that we're at in John's gospel Matthew says in a verse in chapter 3 verse 8 Matthew says therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance telling them that they have to get themselves ready and stuff like that and do not think to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I say to you God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones from these stones now. If this is the same place that they're baptizing where they crossed the Jordan River, what did they do? They left memorial stones, didn't they? They left memorial stones as a memorial there. Were they still there at this time? I don't know, but it's a heck of a thought. It's a heck of a thought that John's saying, see these stones right there? God is able to raise up children of Abraham. Pointing to those stones as a memorial when he came across. It's plausible. We can't prove it because it's not really scriptural. It doesn't say it, but it's right there. You have to... You have to think about that. Food for thought. Pretty cool. But John's baptizing in a rocky place. He's baptizing in a tough place, a desert place. Baptizing in a world much like we live today. Many of us want to witness. Many of us want to witness Christ in our lives. But many of us hang on and we're waiting for the perfect circumstances to witness Christ that's usually when you're not going to witness Christ in the perfect sense. When you're going to witness Christ is in the most horrible of circumstances. That's when Christ is going to come out. That's when people are going to see Christ in the most horrible of circumstances. We need to speak of him in our everyday activities. So, I, I finished this study, and as I was thinking about this, and I don't know why I'm going here, but I am. I have the microphone. And... um. I was thinking about the change of identity. The change of identity. And I I have to go, let me read you something in Ephesians 4. The, The change of identity. Let me read verses 17 through 32. Paul just got finished saying that, you know, he's given given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints for the work of the ministry, for edifying the body, till we all come to the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, no longer being tossed to and fro, and those things. Then he says, this I say, therefore, in verse 17, testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. Now, right there, he's describing the old man. He's describing what the old man looked like. He's he's talking about the old man. He said, don't walk like the Gentiles used to walk. Don't walk. You're a child of God now. You've accepted the Christ. You've accepted his sacrifice. You're a child of God. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of what you've been called to do. Fitting our new identity. You've been born again. You have a new identity. You are now a Christian. You have a new identity. And we're told to not walk as the Gentiles walk. And the word they use for Gentiles is basically heathen. They walk in the futility of their mind. Their understanding is dark, and they're alienated from God. They're ignorant and blinded. You know, we, you can probably relate to some of that. If we look back to the B.C. days, which I don't like to do a lot of times, but sometimes it's good to look back. And I was there. I was alienated from God. I was ignorant. My heart and my mind were blinded to the things of God. I fit the bill right here. I fit the bill. And then in verse 20, you see that transitional word again, but. You have not learned so in Christ. You've not learned that. We've heard him. We've been taught by him. This means communion. You have an intimacy with him now. And what did he teach us? He taught us to love one another. Mark taught on that on Wednesday night. He says, love one another even as I have loved you. And he has loved us with that agape love. That agape love that we all desperately so much need. We need that agape love in our lives. It's a motivating factor behind our lives and behind our actions rather than greed. Before we were saved, I can guarantee that, I don't know about you, I can only speak for myself, all my actions were greedy. What could I get? What could I get by doing this? What could I get by saying this? There was greed in that. I was greediness. But not so now with Christ. I leave behind those actions. I leave behind those things. And there are two powerful motivators that work in the hearts of men today. And you're moved by one of the two motivators. You're either moved, motivated by love or you're motivated by greed. And those are the two motivators. And you see the results in the world around us. The man who is in Christ is motivated by love. And you see that effect as the love exudes out of their lives. The love touches others. What they do, they do in the name of Christ. They do all things for Christ. It's the love of Christ that constrains us and thus we're given because they're motivated by love and we, we're, we're not motivated by greed any longer. When we read the word, we're convicted of these things. We're convicted of things as we commune with our Savior. We're convicted of those things. And if not, then we must change our identity. We must change our identity. Identification is whom we identify with. Identification is simply a process where we model the thoughts and feelings and actions of someone who has demonstrated to them us. Christ has demonstrated all those things. He's shown us in his word. He's given us all that stuff. So we model that. We identify with Christ. He said, put off the old man, the former corrupt, the deceitful lust. Well, if you put it off, you have to put something on. Then you put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which is where the battle takes place. Put off the old ways. Put on the new. Put off the old life. Put on the new in Christ. And this is what baptism is about. It's a symbol. There's all kinds of symbolism in there. Some people have compared baptism to a wedding ring. It's symbolic of a new life. When you put a wedding ring on, there's a new life now. You're no longer one. You're two. There's a new life. Baptism draws a line between the old and the new. The past and the future. Baptism is a declaration of identification. It's an outward expression. I identify with Christ. We identify with His life, His death, His resurrection, as I said. As Christians, we are called to follow His example in all things. We're to become more and more like Him as we grow in our faith. And that's what, my baptism, is so important when you're following Christ. It's so important. As He was willing to identify Himself with us, we publicly identify with Him when we're baptized. It's a way of declaring, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that the debt of my sin is fully paid by His sacrificial death on the cross. I am now His. I believe He rose from the dead, and I believe I will also be resurrected through Him. Look forward to walking in accordance with the Lord's will while I'm on earth and living with Him throughout eternity. And since He loved me enough to identify Himself with me in my sin, I will show my love for him by following his example right now and for the rest of my life. That's the new man and new woman. So we identify with others who believe in Jesus' salvation. We identify together. We identify, there's an identity here. And that shows up in all kinds of ways. Have you ever met somebody brand new who you've never talked to before? And all of a sudden, there's this commonality here. You know, really I don't understand this commonality here, but you have, all of a sudden, you feel like you've known this person for a long time. And one of you says, I'm a Christian. Well, I am too. Boom. You share that commonality. See, baptism demonstrates our connection not only with the Lord, but our brothers and sisters as well, past, present, and future. Joining everyone who's walked in faith before us, who's walking in faith now, and who walk in faith after us. We are saying that we're all members of this body. We were redeemed and brought to life by the same Lord. Put on that new man. I wish we could open up here and have a pool here. We'd jump in and baptize. A little cold to go down to the uh, Sunset Beach. But if you want to be baptized, I'll go with you. We baptized 15 people last summer. What a glorious time that was, 15. Several people had made second time. They, They liked being baptized so much, they came and did it again. But it was a wonderful time. Wonderful time of baptism. It's a wonderful time. So I guess I have to leave you with the question today, and this is where we'll end here. Who do you identify with? Who do you identify with? Do you identify with the world? The old person? The old man? I don't know why I always have to be an old man, but do you identify with the old man? Or do you identify with the new person in Christ? For Christ has made you new. Behold, all things are old. They're gone. Behold, all things are new. Many man being Christ, he's a new creation. All things are new. That's our life now. You are a sure hope.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com, there, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.